this uh, societal conditioning, this right. uh, addictive life system that gets us to think that alcohol is like normal and pleasurable. But then on a, on a bio-individual basis, like a biopsychosocial basis, we are all dealing with some form of shame, likely from our childhood or from every other time, right? right and right. as a result of that shame and our inability to deal with it and confront it, we're numbing. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being here. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan. You're listening to the Sober is Dope podcast. And I just really wanted to talk to you about my exciting guest today, Lee Davey of A Thousand Days Sober. Lee is really a solid, solid human being. He has many years of recovery, about 12 years recovery under his belt. And he has a really proven track record for helping people find success in their recovery journey. And he has a unique program that you're not going to see anywhere. And you guys know the Sober is Dope podcast is not about advertising or anything like that. What we're about is bringing you guys solid resources that you could put into your Sober is Dope toolkit or tool belt and really excel on your journey. I just want to bring you guys value, things that appeal to me and help me on my journey. I'm just paying it forward by sharing it with you guys. Because your success is my success and vice versa. And Lee Davey is one of the people that I wanted to introduce to the Sober Dope community because he has unique ideas about recovery and he has a proven system. And some of the fundamental ideas that really hit home for me is that Lee stresses the importance of having a community a, a support system, a place that where you could go, right, for more than 30 days, for more than 60 days, for a long-term resource that you could tap into where you could be honest and you could express yourself. And this is important because when you're dealing with mental health or if you're dealing with the negative mind chat or if you're dealing with sadness, numbing, and all of these things and shame, Sometimes you need real people that you could talk to. You need people that you could not only talk to, but people that you can trust on your journey. Now, I started the Sober is Dope podcast as a platform where you guys could reach out to myself and use my resources and we could feed off each other and you could find some trust there. And Lee's doing the same thing, but he has a whole community. He has a whole support system. And a thousand thousand days sober family is really a solid place. So I wanted to introduce you guys to the founder. It's really incredible when we find individuals who you know they found their recovery but then they have this quality of life where they're able to go on and build beautiful foundations and create beautiful platforms to give back to the community so i'm really excited to bring lee davy here so he could talk about his holistic program the spiritual mentorship 
the support system that a thousand days sober brings to its members and that beautiful community and family and with no further ado i'm gonna give you guys some information on lee we're gonna go to a message from our sponsor and then we're gonna enjoy this really exciting episode and i'm really really excited to bring this wonderful person to you guys um just a slight trigger warning for anyone that's listening we met we go into a lot of content so just brace yourself because this is a raw episode lee's very um outspoken and so am i so just wanted to brace anyone and um just really enjoy the episode be objective and i'll catch you on the other side Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A Thousand Days Sober was founded in 2013 by A Thousand Days Sober podcast host Lee Davey. Lee Davey founded A Thousand Days Sober angry and frustrated that he had been hoodwinked into believing alcohol provided him with incredible value. When he realized that it had no value whatsoever, he vowed to help as many people as he could see the truth. What started as a blog about Lee's experience morphed into a podcast, a course, and now a community for people who want to live fulfilled lives as people that don't drink alcohol. In the beginning, Lee was a one-man team. He has since gathered the best sobriety coaches and created a holistic program focused on spiritual and personal development, person-centered therapy, grief and loss recovery, and health and well-being. As the founder of A Thousand Days Sober, Lee now serves as the creative driving force behind the program, the voice of the podcast, and the leader of the community. He is married to A Thousand Days Sober coach Liza Lim, and they have two children, Jude and Zaya. He currently lives in Los Angeles, California. When Lee is not helping people see the truth about alcohol, he is a writer, producer, and content creator in the poker world. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Sober is Dope podcast. I'm your host, Pop Buchanan. And today I have a very special guest today, Lee Davey from A Thousand Days Sober podcast, blog, movement, and experience. Lee, how are you doing today? I'm so excited. I am doing very, very well, Pop, very well. I've actually just come off a podcast myself where I interviewed Jack Canfield. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Wow. He's like a guy 13 years ago, like his book, The Success Principles, which I have up here. Yeah. You know, that's like... The book that helped me become sober, man. You know, so yeah, it's heavy. Special day, brother. That's that's right. That's right. I love that feeling. So you're charged up, and I'm charged up. And Lee, I want to really start out with before I get into all of the miraculous and amazing resources you provide for the community. I want to start out with you. Um, The Sober Stove podcast have listeners and people who's 
dealing with their addiction on a day-to-day basis. Could you tell us a little bit about your personal origin story and your journey in recovery? Yeah, sure. I was uh, born in uh, Manchester in the UK, home of Oasis and Manchester United Football Club. And I lived there until I was about 10. And then we moved to Ogmo Vale in South Wales, which for people who are not in the UK, Wales and England, very, very different countries. Although everybody sees it as part of the UK, very different culturally. Uh, The Welsh don't like the English very much. And I would say that was my second biggest milestone when it comes to me ending up drinking. First being realizing that my father wasn't my biological father when I was around six, right? But this move to Wales was crucial. I was like 10 years of age and I had no friends. So you know what you do pop, you just do what you need to do to fit in, right? So if that means you need to mess about, um, play the fool, uh, drink alcohol, smoke cigarettes, whatever you need to do, you'll do it to fit in. And I was very lonely back then. And um, it's about 14, I started drinking. Uh, it was Ogmovale, strange place, you know, like you drinking at 14 years of age, it's okay. Like yeah. the, the adults are, are fine with it. They don't seem to worry about it. It's uh, encouraged. I certainly remember my father um, sending me to the bar at 14 to buy my first pint. So it's, it's all part of the culture there, you know. Um, so I drunk, uh, you know, until 35. Um, and then towards the end of my drinking career, as you'll call it, I had a boy, baby boy. And what happened then was another important thing. Once he got to an age where he could kind of toddle around himself, my first wife and me, we started drinking quite heavily at home because, you know, we didn't have a babysitter. Right. Right. And then we would invite other people around the house. And we would just party and play poker and we would just leave the kids playing on the Nintendos, you know, and we would be hardballing it. And it started to get pretty serious every weekend. I realized that I was drinking on a daily basis coming home from work. I was big into poker back then. So I would play a lot of online poker and I would crack up in a bottle of Lafroy whiskey. Wow. And, and I, would, I would almost be like, wow, like I've nearly drunk the whole bottle playing this, like, this poker game. And of course, the effects were getting less and less. Like I, I wasn't getting as smashed, you know, and it started worrying. But the main thing was I started arguing with my wife a lot. And then I realized, okay, alcohol is, um, I thought at the time, the main reason. So I, I, I'd quit smoking uh, when my boy was born 19 years ago now, using Alan Carr's easy way. So I thought, okay, let's quit smoke. Let's quit drinking. You know, my wife didn't want any part of it. She didn't want to quit. So I said, uh, I, in my head, I'm thinking if I quit, my wife might quit as well. Mm. So I quit to save my marriage, but it didn't quite work out. She, uh, asked me to leave and, um, because it just wasn't working out. And then at that point then from, you know, going, reading Alan Carr's book and going sober, my life just went poof, completely different. But if you get any questions on before I was pulled out of the matrix, fight away. And a lot of, for a lot of people in relationships, you know, especially in my case, it was that fear. Like if I, if I get sober, am I still going to be able to maintain my relationships? Am I going to still be interesting? Am I going to have any semblance of a life? And it's just that fear of the unknown, this negative stigma that's put on actual recovery 
from mm. the imagination of the addict, right? Mm. And we know that's all false, right? Right. So we're preaching the gospel that recovery is actually something incredible that could bring a lot of joy to your life. So I'm glad you chose yourself and you chose recovery because someone else would have said, well, my recoveries may not be working. So in order to save my marriage now, I'm going to go back and start drinking again, right? It's that, mm. co uh, that codependent kind of enabling that narrative that happens with many couples. So congratulations to you. So it's 19 years of recovery? No, you're talking, what, uh, 2007. So what are we now, 20? So I don't know. 13, 13 years or something like that. Wow, congratulations. I don't keep count. I never yeah, kept yeah, count. No. I was never a counter. Hey, hey, sometimes I remember in the early stage, one of my friends said, wouldn't it be cool to get to a, a point where you don't even count the days anymore? Because yeah, when I yeah. first started, I was on like day 255. And so, well, now, so you're 13 years sober and there was something that really stuck out to me when I was reading your story online. You kind of felt like society and the world hoodwinked you into thinking that alcohol added value to you personally to life. Mm. And then you get to this point where you realize, wait a minute, this is not true. Alcohol doesn't add any value. This thing is crap, right? And you wanted to bring that reality and the truth of recovery to the world. So what sparked it going from your personal recovery journey into branching out into the blog and just spreading the message of recovery and sharing your story? Well, I, I, I realized when I read, once I read Alan's car's easy way to control alcohol, I couldn't believe the power in nonfiction books. Mm. Like I was thinking to myself, I looked around me, nobody I knew had stopped drinking other than my, my granddad, like nobody I knew. And I thought I found a lot of power in that. So then I read Jack Canfield's Success Principles, you know, and I, I quit my job and I just kept reading and reading and reading. So as I'm reading, I'm obviously building on the philosophy that I'd learned from Carr. So Carr has a very particular philosophy that you're not giving up anything when it comes to giving up alcohol, a really mm -hmm. important philosophy. But then there's a lot missing from what he was teaching. And as I was learning more and more about how life works, I started to realize that actually life the world is an addictive system. So capitalism, free market economy, it, it drives addiction, right? We, right. we want to buy this. We want to buy that. We want to consume this. We want to consume that. We want to be the best at this. We want to be the best at that. It, it, it doesn't really bode well for, you know, just like being spiritual, being deep, being introspective, being all about other people. It's not like that. It's very fixed mindset orientated, right? So that made me very angry, you know, like I would look at my mom, my dad, my friends, I would see them smoking and drinking. And I knew in my heart that there was no value to it, right? I was like, everything you think is valuable to you as a, as a, as a you know, a point of principle of drinking or smoking is a lie. Like mm -hmm. we have been designed from birth, designed from birth from the moment we come out, right, to drink alcohol. Right. Everything around us from uh, the advice that the medical practitioners give us to the way the government taxes it and deals with it from the way that our school teachers talk about it. Fucking Santa Claus. Right. Who hasn't left Santa Claus like a, a can of lager in the UK? You know, yeah. um, mm -hmm. Jesus turns uh, water into wine. Right. Like right. It, it's, it's everywhere and everybody wants you to drink. Like I fly a lot. Right. 
Every right. time I get on a flight, I look at my headrest. There's, a, there's an advert on my headrest telling yeah. me to drink alcohol. Yes. I get on the tube in London. There's an advert telling me that if I don't drink alcohol, I'm going to be lonely, right? I'm going to be sad. I'm going to be lonely. So it's everywhere. And when you're, when you're a teenager and you're, you start to realize that, oh, I can't be a child anymore and I need to be an adult. And then you start saying to yourself, well, what does it mean to be an adult? So how can I do this adult thing right? You look at your parents, right? You look at people you respect. And what is happening to these parents and the people they respect? What are they doing? They're all drinking alcohol, right? So you right. think that it's normal. And then your friends are like, come on, come on. And if you're a teenager, don't turn around and say, yeah, you know, no, I don't want to drink alcohol. You're alone. Nobody wants to be alone. It's in our DNA that we need to be in a tribe, right? Right. So I saw that and I thought, this is a mess. Like, I need to tell so many people about this. And this is why I always say I'm not an alcoholic. I always say I'm not anonymous, right? You cannot be anonymous when you see something like this. And I understand that people suffer from the death effect. You know, if I talk to my mom and dad about this or my friends or my old friends, they wouldn't understand it. They wouldn't get it because that's how the system works. Uh, you might know I, I call this belief system that alcohol is normal and pleasurable an invisible, violent, and dominant belief system, and I call it alcoholism. I use the word alcoholism, and I pin that name on this belief system. Because pop, the reason this belief system exists is because it doesn't have a name. It's nameless, and that's why people don't know about it. That's why we have to put a name on it. So that's basically where 1,000 Days Sober came from, was, okay, come on, we've got to tell the world that this is bullshit, right? So that's where right. it came from. I love that um, a few things, and it's really deep. I always say we don't, we, we're not born with the memo. We're not born with the memo that we are allergic to alcohol, that we have this uh, allergy to alcohol and we're alcoholics, right? So when society starts kicking in, when peer pressure starts to kick in, when the world and big business kick in and you're a normal kid and on your 18th birthday, like in my case, your friends come and they take you out to drink. It's like this rite of passage into manhood. The problem is if you don't have the memo, if you don't know that you're alcoholic, that first drink could lead to the the torment and the terrible nature of alcoholism. And in my case, I didn't have, we didn't have a memo. So I was always the kid who would be extra drunk. I would get drunk the fastest. I would drink the longest. I would need, I would tend to have problematic behaviors, right? And then people would tend to sometimes point the finger, oh, you had a rough night or you was wilding out or whatever. But the same system that rewards you for drinking or encourage you to drink is the same system that ridicules you and puts a stigma on you when you're an addict, right? Mm -hmm. They, they throw you away like garbage when you struggle to the, and then you get to homelessness and you, then the mental health. So I love what you're doing because we have to kind of like warn people, look, do some research, do some introspection first, because Find out if you really need, like alcohol, if you even need it before you even try, you may not even need to try it. Remove the prayer pressure. Start talking to the kids before, like, look, alcohol is a lie, it's disastrous, it's nasty. You don't need it. You don't need it to be cool, you know? And that's why we started Sober is Dope, because we wanted to kind of appeal to everyone, but also 
a younger demographic also to say to the kids, you know, yo, your sneakers are dope. And guess what? Sobriety's dope too, right? Yeah, don't yeah. drink. You don't need it. And and it's just crazy because people just beat up on the addict and it's just this terrible stigma out there. So I'm, I'm, I'm so excited that you talked about it from that perspective and just society just kind of like everything is about alcohol. And again, big business, you're dealing with it every day. Advertisements, mm. Hennessy. I can't get on I'm in New York, New York City, right? You get on a train, big display ads, Hennessy, Bacardi, all of these drinks, right? Doesn't matter if it's a school day, they're there. They're just on the MTA or whatever. This is big business. This yeah, is the what sporting people, events. Yeah, yeah the club. sporting events, exactly. Clubbing, the idea of partying. You can't have a good Friday night without getting drunk. It's crazy. And the, it's, uh, this, it's this the, big disconnect. The uh, uh, Super Bowl. So, like, obviously, I don't watch the Super Bowl if I'm in the <laughs> UK, but I'm in LA, so my, my father in law has it on. And they have this, this Budweiser advert. Yeah. Like real Americans, so it has firemen, it has uh, <laughs> it has people giving their shirts to homeless people, and it's like, but they're all drinking Bud, and it's like yeah. real Americans, and I'm like, what has that got to do with alcohol? Yeah, like, it, or football? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, it's just a massive con. Um, but to go back to what you were saying there, you know, like the younger people, uh, what I teach our gang is, like, if you want to teach your kids, um, not to drink alcohol or to or, or teach them the parent you can't teach it let's be honest you cannot teach a kid not to drink alcohol right yeah. so you need to teach your kids the perils of alcohol so i have a 19 year old boy right. so for many years now i've been teaching him the other side of the alcohol story the lie right so i've been teaching him but most importantly i've been a role model right, right. so he knows his dad doesn't drink so when we go out together as, as a, a family or whatever or it's a party he sees his dad not drink and he sees his dad not giving a shit if anybody has a problem with the fact that he's not drinking. Mm, right? I like now, that. that is being a role model. That is the best way you can um, lever- kind of lean your kids to have a healthy relationship with alcohol. Because I tell you, if you manage to get your kid through your role modeling to never drink, wow, you're a superstar. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think because teenagers are teenagers, they're all, the, most of them are going to drink, right? right. Um, but if you decide that you're going to drink alcohol even moderately and you then try to preach to your kid that they shouldn't do this, you've got a real problem on your hands because you're, you're mirroring the behavior that drinking a powerful poison that kills 3.3 million people a year is, is acceptable as long That's as right. you do it moderately. Well, come on. Like every single person who ended up in the gutter started out drinking alcohol moderately. That's right? right. That's right. Right. So, so moderation, I believe is a, is a massive piece of this puzzle I call the invisible violent dominant belief system. Because if you are drinking moderately, you are showing your children that it is okay to do this. That is the belief system. That's why the belief system I'm talking about, alcoholism as I call it, is invisible. Because you don't mm. see it. All you see are people drinking, right? So I just wanted to put that in there. So I thought it was a good point. I, I love that. And I want to qualify that with the term drink responsibly. If you're born with the, uh, if you're born an alcoholic with an alcohol brain and an allergy to alcohol, it's, impo- it's going to be impossible to drink responsibly. So that's a, that's, it doesn't work either. So that's why it's extremely hard. And you're right, we have to be role models and we at least teach kids how to identify early or people how to identify early if you're an alcoholic or not. 
because someone could, like I said, have a drink and be totally normal. Like my best friend and I, we same environment, everything. He had a drink once in his life. I don't like the way it tastes. Not for me, right? On the other hand, I had a drink and couldn't stop drinking. So it's, just, it's not environmental. It's more like I am, I was born allergic to alcohol and it gave me this illness or disease they want to say, right? And the reason why I say that is if we could educate or tell people to look out for this, look out for this, right? Because you'll know, or family to look out for the problem signs. It's usually that one night where a kid gets so drunk, they just, they tear, everything falls apart, right? And instead of everyone coming the next day and saying, hey, listen, we think that you have an allergy to alcohol. Let's explain this. And we're taking alcohol off the table for you, something you shouldn't be doing. Like if I had that conversation, my life would have looked totally different, right? Because I started my drinking journey at 15 years old. Right. I'm 40 years old today. I'm seven years sober. So you're right on point. I just wanted to hit that because that's the subject that a lot of people don't cover when we talk. We talk from our own perspective in our journey, but we're not talking to the world in that way for the next hundred of thousands of kids that's coming right behind us. That's going to get hit with the same peer pressure and problems we have. I want to shift a bit. Right. Like, I want to shift. I want to talk about rehab detox and your particular program, the importance of someone that's struggling, right, with alcohol, if they go to detox or if they were to go to a rehab or if they don't want to go to rehab. So what I'm starting to see now is a lot of people would go to detox and they feel 100%, they're back off to the races. They don't necessarily want to go into a long-term rehab, but then we have programs like yours, a thousand days sober. Now, is your program unique in that way? Where is it supplemental to rehab, or is it a standalone program? And is it good for someone who may not want to go to traditional alcoholic anonymous or traditional rehabilitation? I mean, we we have. I mean, the one thousand days sober experience was born out of the. It was kind of like born out of marketing, if you like. So when okay. you look at what's going on in the sobriety industry and you say to yourself, what has everybody got covered? Mm. Everybody's got 30 days covered, right? Come mm. and do my 30-day program. Come and do mm. my six-month program, yeah. right? So I'm looking at this thinking to myself, hang on a minute. This isn't, this isn't a program. Mm. Like this journey we're on is life. Is life, right. But I, but, I, but I can't sell a life program. Right. So what I said to myself was, what would be a good, strong, sturdy figure, okay, which will grab people's attention and they can really work with us on putting alcohol in the rearview mirror and then growing on to live a kick-ass life, or what I say, building rockets and flying to Mars, right? right. And I was like, 1,000 days speaks to me. And, and the reason I said that is uh, Michelle, uh, one of our earliest strivers, our community is called Strive, she, re she reached 1,000 days and put it on Instagram. And I'm mm -hmm. like come on, get on the podcast. Let's talk about how you did that. And then I changed our brand name to 1000 Days Sober to, to, to put ourselves out there as the only long-term program. So when people are signing up with me, Pop, you know, they're investing for 2.7 years. Like they're, they're, coming, they're coming and having a conversation with me and I'm saying, right, we're going to work for 2.7 years. And then I, I let them into a little secret that 1000 Days Sober is a little bit of a lie. You're going to hopefully be with us for life. Mm -hmm. I had four people last week celebrate three years with us, you know, three of, three of whom, three of whom come through the program. They come out the other end. 
he got sober and now they're helping other people in an ambassadorial um, role, right? People say to me all the time, uh, will it gel with me because I've gone to AA? Yeah, it will. We don't, we don't, we cover things like uh, higher power in a different way. Okay. You know, it's not necessarily, but you know, anybody who goes to AA will say that higher power is not, uh, it's not God. Okay. Um, we, we don't, we don't think we're powerless at all. Okay. Okay. We, uh, we step into our power, but there's, there's a lot about the 12 steps that, uh, when you look at our program are very similar. Um, and it's, it's basically, I would tell people, it's not about the alcohol. Yeah. So our 1000 days sober experience, it's based on a framework called the strive sobriety system. Yes. Which is something that I got from James Prochaska. He wrote a book called changing for good and changing to thrive. And it's called a transferetical behavioral model. And what James says is um, every addict is at a different stage in their addiction to the next addict. Right? So if you come to me and you're in our first phase, which we call stuck and you're okay. really stuck and mm -hmm. you don't know whether you want to stop drinking and you, you don't know how to do it. And I try to get you to stop drinking ain't going to work. Okay. Right. If you're in the ambivalence phase, which we call thought ain't going to work. So, we structured it so you join, you get uh, the strive, you get the strive community systems, you get the support. Support is hugely important. So many people out there think they can do this on their own, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Like it's, it's ridiculous. Like how many people come to me think they can do it on their own? Yeah. But then the program meets you where you're at. So for 2.7 years, it's stretched out nicely. So you could come to me, Pop, and do the stuck phase. At the end of it, after a conversation with me, that'll be about three months working with me on stuck, why you're stuck and why you can't get unstuck. At the end of it, we might say to you, be the ambassador in yourself. We don't think you're ready to move on, Pop. We, we'll have to keep, we keep here in this, in this phase until you're ready to move on. What do we have to work on in this phase? And we have coaches at, at uh, 1000 Days Sober that specialize in trauma, in grief, in health, nutrition, fitness. Uh, we're hopefully getting some mindfulness coaches on and we're going to get more and more as we grow. And they really help people as well to under, understand all addicts all addiction is born in shame. You know, mm. you were saying earlier on about, you know, the alcohol gene and being born with this thing. We don't, we don't go there really. You know, mm. um, we, we don't, we don't think that that matters. Mm. Right. So for example, I grew up in Ogmore Vale and I can tell you every single person around me was an addict. So okay. like what, like it did everybody born with this addictive gene what mm. what gives now i'm yeah. not like there's a book here that i'm reading at the moment by robert plowman right blueprint okay. yeah he thinks there's an alcoholism gene right mm. so i'm gonna take a look at that because if it's an alcoholism gene is there a gambling addict gene is there a mm. porn addict gene mm. a love addict gene like mm. so I, i'm trying to play around and understand it but yeah. so far in 1000 days sober it doesn't matter you come to me and you tell me that you're an addict you've got an addicted gene i'll just say to you who gives a shit who yeah. cares? Let's just work on why right now you're using alcohol. What are you using it to numb? So the experience is long. It needs to be too many people think they have this nailed and then they just leave and then they just start drinking again. So it's, it's much more than a program. With your particular program, the stuck phase is the first phase and people mm -hmm. could still be drinking and stuff. It's not as if they decided that they're ready and they want to take, they want yeah. you to help them further their journey in sobriety. This is kind of for someone who's still struggling or still drinking or maybe sober curious yeah. that wants help getting on a journey of abstinence, correct? Yeah.
The correct. Got it. What, got it. Sorry, I didn't. I, I didn't understand that initially. And what what we're trying to do in the stuck phase is get them to understand why they're drinking. Okay. And why they're stuck. And then the next phase is thought. Okay. So then we cover ambivalence. Why is it that you want to moderate? Why is it that you want to stop? What? Why are you having this fight in your head? Why is it so complicated? Okay. Should we just stop? Like so. That's the thought phase. After that. If you get through that and we think you're ready, we'll say you're ready to come into the ready phase. The ready phase is preparing you. Okay. Stopping. But you stop at the ready phase. You take your 1,000 vow after being with us for about six months. That's when you take your 1,000 vow. Because it's really important, right? If you think about it, if you come to us on, on day, if you sign up today, Pop, and you say, yeah, I'm going to go fucking 1,000 days sober, right? right? This is what happens in reality. And you know this in your own orbit, right? People come on a strive. They fucking post a lot and they talk a lot and they help a lot and they, they just, they consume all this content and then boom, they're gone. They disappear. Mm. And, and you write to them, another email, another email, nothing. What's happened? They're drinking again and they can't face the shame of coming back into the community because they, they came in and said they was going to do this and it was going to do that. So we say to them, no, 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 calm down. Let's calm the fuck down, right? Yeah. It's come in here and just explore because we need you to kind of stay the course and understand that in this process of giving up this addiction, one of the top five uh, most difficult addictions in the world, according to the internet, you know, like you need to give yourself a lot of compassion. The likelihood is you're going to drink, right? So mm. don't run away when you drink. So it's not until the ready phase that we really kick it. And then the initiative phase is where we really drill down into alcoholism being an invisible, violent, dominant belief system, really educating them on that. And then the vigilance stage, this is like a very long stage where you've, now you've stopped drinking. Now you're going to hit that wall you're talking about. We call mm -hmm. it the dip. You're going okay. to go through a dip and you, you don't even know you're there. You, you want to drink all of a sudden. You, you don't know why. That's the dip. That's our vigilance stage. Once okay. we get you out of the dip, yeah. now you're in the evolution stage. And yeah. the evolution stage is, I want to be an artist. I want to be a uh, uh, work for Manchester United Football Club. I want to be a subway driver. Whatever it is, whatever your dream is, we then work to make that happen because we don't want to help you quit alcohol and you'd be a miserable bastard for the rest of your life, right? That's not what right, we want. Right, right, right. Correct. I, I appreciate that because, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had my fair share of miserable people in recovery. And hey, that, you know, I, we just did an episode talking about that. You, you I, I try to bring the joy. Uh, so I love what you're talking about here. You're taking someone who, and this is beautiful because I feel like a system like this would have been helpful for me years ago, a place that's non-judgmental one, a mm. place that understands the societal shame and the pain that a person may be going through and the internal pain and having an outlet for someone to really express themselves in a way where it's just non-judgmental and they get the right support, right? And it gives them a plan to gradually build up. Do you guys incorporate any, any medical advice? Is there any the detox suggestions or do you just try to do this all through the mental? It sounds like it's a mental program and a, you get to them mentally, spiritually and stuff like that. Okay. But, once you get to the ready phase, yes. so we have, we have a health, we have a health and nutrition coach. So once okay. you get to the ready stage, then we're, then we're saying, okay, what are you eating? Uh, what are your inflammation markers? Um, how are you feeling? 
you know? So mm -hmm. we start then to work with them to create uh, a nutritional program, right? Okay. So it's not like, it's not like we're ignoring biology. It's just, let's, let's say that Robert Plowman is writing that book that we have an alcohol, alcohol gene and that I've got it. So that means I am at greater risk of drinking alcohol than my friend who doesn't have it, right? Right. Okay. And then I come to my program. How am I going to help that guy? <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a gene that says he's going to drink more alcohol. How can I help him? I'm not a geneticist. I can't go in there and pull that gene out. But guess what, Pop? I obviously have that gene. I've been addicted to alcohol. I've been addicted to drugs. I've been addicted to smoking. I've been addicted to sex, pornography, sugar, you name it. I've been addicted to it. So if there's an addictive gene for alcohol, I have it. But guess what? I don't drink. I don't even feel like drinking. I never feel like drinking. I never, ever triggered. What happened to my gene? Mm. How did it get turned off? Did someone sneak in and steal it? So, so well, go ahead. Wait, I want to, I want to stop you there. It's a, it's a good, I just, I don't know if you ever heard of Dr. Rob Kelly. Um, Dr. Rob Kelly is phenomenal and he actually does research where you have, you can, so there's research that supports if you have a psychic change and a spiritual change that can enact a DNA change. And I'm a lot like you and I don't really, I don't adhere to the notion of the genetic aspect. I'm more into the brain aspect, the way alcohol relates to dopamine in our brains, right? And that's a real thing on, in, in, on an individual basis, right? Someone has issues with how they drink and how their dopamine works and, and that leads to an addictive personality, addic addictive behavior with that drug of choice, whatever it is. In my case, it was alcohol. But the beautiful thing for me is I'm like you. I had a spiritual, mental, psychic, all whatever you want to call it, that changed me in such a unique way, right, that mm. I don't want to drink. I'm not triggered to drink. And the last thing I'm ever going to want to do is drink. Mm. But one thing I do know that's never going to change, and this is where the brain aspect comes in, if I do have a drink, I'm going to go buck wild again. And, that's, and that history proved that. And, you know, through the empirical method, I have a hundred to 200,000 probably case studies of that. If I have a drink, I'm going to go crazy with it. And that's the evidence there. But I do think that there is some, a lot of data now to support that through epigenetics and just behavior. We could change all our, our epigenetic programming through lifestyle, diet, stress markers, and all the things you're talking about. So I do know and I, and, I, and I agree with you here in, in, in a lot of ways that there is a possibility to affect someone on a, a genetic cellular level through spirituality, through the changing of the mind, changing of the spirit and changing of their idea and the way they think about life and themselves and the way they perceive life. There's a lot of data there. And um, so that's a real thing, um, more or less. And, um, I, you know, like I said, the genetic aspect is kind of, sensitive to me because that's kind of hard to prove but what's not hard to prove is alcohol in the brain and it being a brain situation so i just want to i mean like one one thing to think about for the listeners you know is um i'm not i'm not saying there is no alcohol gene i'm saying it doesn't matter right okay got that now my mom because because if i'm if i'm able to rid it from my life and I have an alcohol gene, then I can teach other people to do the same. And if I started drinking now, 
would I develop a case of the fuck it, as we call it, likely? Well, let me ask you a question. If I'm 80 years of age and I decide to drink, am I going to develop a case of the fuck it? I doubt it. I, I believe I would be able to get at 80 and I'd be able to start drinking again because I'm well, 80. Well, right? well the, the, that's another thing that's been historically proven that doesn't really work. So, yeah, you could be on your deathbed with two days to live, but if you start to drink, you will accelerate those two days and you will, it will affect... And I know this personally in my life. Um, if I don't, you're not probably familiar with too much of my story, but I told a story one time called the AA champion, right? It was this older gentleman who had like 30 years of sobriety. He mm. was the champion of AA. He was the guy on the train handing out the pamphlets. He was the actual guy. And when I first got sober, I found him in my office building drunk with a bunch of people around him really trying to like, get the cops to help this guy. And I, and I told everyone, get away from him. I'm going to hold him down. And when I looked at him, I said, you're my, I said, it's me. It's the kid you used to always help. You're the AA champion. That's what I used to call him on the train. Yeah. That's the A. And he looked at me and he said, oh man, kid, you got sober. I said, yes. He said, how long have you been sober? And this guy has 30 plus years. I said, uh, what a couple of, it was like a couple of weeks or months. I, I don't remember exactly. It was mm. early. And he said, well, kids, you got more days than me. And the reason why I'm saying that is no matter how much time and how much we think we got this thing beat, it's, and I'm not trying to oppose you on this. There are unique cases and you may be a unique person in the way where you're uniquely designed to where you could get to 80, have a drink and not develop a case to a fuckers. But for everyone else who ever tried in every perceivable case study you could find, they alcohol brought them back to a problematic state. If indeed they were a real alcoholic now. Now you could be just, I'm, I'm alcohol, I tend to drink a lot, but may not be as wound up as someone who like myself and just decide to stop drinking in that 80 you could pick it up and handle it socially but we have to make the distinction to people that if you are and you know you are an alcoholic and you can't drink where you never supposed to drink right or it's going to lead to some addictive behavior I don't care if you're 90 or 100, if you drink, you're going to, you're going to develop this and you're going to wake that sleeping giant right back up, right? So I know people in my life who try to play with that concept and it just doesn't work. You just become an old, miserable drunk all over again. They even have a story, and I'm not saying that to discourage people. I'm saying that to encourage people not to play around with alcohol because those type of statements tend to get people in a place to where there's a destination now they could go in time where there's a possibility open where they could potentially drink, and that's dangerous because just playing with that could lead someone to think, well, I could build up this whole life and then we know you could tear it down overnight, right? And a lot of people in the Sober's Dope podcast are advanced years, 60 years old, 70 years old. So for them, I see, I'm dealing with people right now who's 60, 70 and rebuilding their lives from thinking that they could get back or, you know, that they could handle it just to find out that the addiction, it holds no prisoners. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Well, we, what, what I say to people who come to 1000 Days Sober, right? If you want to drink, drink, right? Don't, if, if you've got a real problem on your hands, if you want to drink 
and you're stopping yourself from drinking because now you're trying to beat willpower and willpower is always going to win. Like it's either going to drive you to drink or you're not going to drink and you're going to be miserable. Right? So I say to people, if you want to drink, drink, but if you do 1000 days sober with me, you're not going to want to drink. Nice. Nice. Right. So go drink, but you're not going to want to drink because you're going to say to yourself, let's say this is vodka in it. What is the point? Like, why am I drinking it for? We're yeah. all we're all drinking it for very different reasons, right? Yeah, right. So for me, I think there's this uh, belief system, right. this uh, societal conditioning, this right. uh, addictive life system that gets us to think that alcohol is like normal and pleasurable. But then on a on a bio individual basis, like a biopsychosocial basis, we are all dealing with some form of shame likely from our childhood or from every other time. Right. Right. And as a result of that shame and our inability to deal with it and confront it, we're numbing, not just with alcohol. People, people are having more problems just being addicted to Netflix, being (laughs) to video games because they, they can ruin your life just as much as alcohol can. Right. So we're all about, okay, here's the theory that I have is if we, can make you happy and joyful and to step into your power and to start being a human being instead of a human doing, then all of a sudden, why on earth are you going to want to drink? This, this is why if you ever listen to Johan Hari's work, right? When people, uh, countries like Portugal and Switzerland, they legalize drugs and then every metric goes down like the number of deaths, yeah. uh, the number of violent crime, uh, the number of people in real, everything goes down. Why? Well, they're not just legalizing it. They're legalizing it and they're providing really top quality kind of help mm. designed around helping people deal with their loneliness and disconnection mm. and dislocation from society. Mm. How many people are just disco- disconnected from society, right? So once you start working with people at the core of why they feel disconnected from the world. It doesn't matter what their genes are. They're not going to want to drink alcohol because they've got nothing to drink it for. There's like, there's, there's no reason that act, if you have a gene and it's being activated, if, right? If yeah, you have a gene, yeah. it's being activated. It's being activated because there's something happening in your life that you're not happy with that has activated the gene, right? You're going to be, your wife left you. Right. Uh, you, you're, you're thinking that you want to have sex with, I don't know, the same gender. And you feel in your, in your area where you live that you're going to be ostracized for that. Um, whatever it is, it's dry. That is going to trigger it, right? So that is what we work on. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's just for me, it's like, you know, it'd be really interesting. Like when I finish reading the DNA blueprint, yeah. I want to learn more about the alcohol gene. I want to question Robert and other people and learn more about it so I can incorporate this into my work. Yeah. But right now our success rate is really good. We yeah. don't even touch. We don't even touch. Well, it. yeah. I, and I definitely, I'm not like, look, I, these doctors and these people could write all that they want. The people that's actually changing and moving the narrative are the people who actually has to deal with this and live it. Right. We're on the ground. We're actually the ultimate case study. So I'm not, I'm not, a, you know, giving any, I, I understand that. And I don't put too much emphasis there. Um, what I would like to talk about is, so you said shame. Uh, I like the concept of shame, right? Um, Dr. Gabor Mate, I don't know if 
you ever heard of him. Mm-hmm. He, he talks about the root of all addiction is some form of pain, right? Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about, ex- these are all the themes, right? Shame, pain, escape, trauma, trauma, loss. Loss is a form of trauma. They go hand in hand, right? Um, in my case, I lost my dad at 13 years old. That was unresolved trauma, unprocessed trauma, right? It really affected me. Love my dad. He was my hero, right? as I grew up, probably didn't, should have went to a bereavement counselor, should have dealt with the trauma, couple of bad breakups, loss of a few businesses, things get to you, it becomes compounded to one day, you totally disconnected, right? Like you said, there was a real disconnect. I was in my, I was in my brownstone by myself, lost, lost the girl, angry about my dad, lost the business, didn't have no outlet, kept drinking and drinking. It became a real bad pattern, right? So what we talk about on the Sober is Dope podcast a lot is dealing with trauma and the mental health aspects associated with addiction. Now, I just want to ask you a straight question. Do you find any underlying link between mental health and addiction in your journey and through your um, actual course and stuff? We do like everybody who comes to 1000 days sober has some mental health issue, but I believe that everybody on this planet has a mental health. Issue. I, like, I, I, respect I mean, that. <laughs> like I, like I, I have a lot of people think they, <clears throat> they say to me, why is it that Fred can drink and I can't drink? That's not fair. And mm. I'll say to them, okay, what do you know about Fred's life? Mm. What do you know about it? Do, do you know that when he goes home after he has his one glass of wine a week that he switches on you porn and he spends three hours watching pornography mm. and he can't stop? Do you know that he's uh, interested in little boys and little girls? Mm. Uh, do you know that when he goes home, he is completely kind of like stuck with procrastination? Mm. Do you know that he just eats shit all the time? Do you know that he just watches nonsense on telly just like this all the time right Mm -hmm. every single body person on this planet at some point has something about their life which is just not right to them that makes them feel that they are somehow weird what i hope that you me and other change makers and make difference in the world is to help people realize that we're all fucked up right we're all um like we need to get used to just being perfectly imperfect and and once we can just just say okay that's cool i just shouted at my little girl i'm not happy that i just shouted at my little girl but you know what i don't drink alcohol so because i don't drink i can think so i can think to myself that is wrong why is it wrong i can ask the question how do i get better at that i can read some parenting books i'm still shouting at her what do i do now Okay, I need to surround myself with people who don't shout at their kids. What are they doing? Oh, they're mindfulness, yoga. They have coaches. I'm going to do that shit. And the next thing you know, your kid comes to you, they piss you off, and you don't do nothing, right? Mm. What do you do? You're evolving. Yes. Right? We don't do that when we're drinking. When we're drinking, right? When we're drinking, are we ever sitting down and having questions about the bigger things in our life? Are we talking to ourselves about what is it that I really want to do and why aren't I doing it? Why mm. am I in it? A friend of mine contacted me two days ago, right? I contacted him actually. I haven't seen him for years. I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm work, I work for Ford, Ford Motor Company in okay. the UK. They're making everybody redundant. 
Mm. He says, I have no idea what I'm going to do in my life. He says, I, I've got wife, got kids. I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, what are you going to do? Well, I've got to find a job, man. Mm. His mindset is I need to get a job to feed my family. And that is it. That's it so doesn't it. matter what job it is. And I will have that job until the day that I die. And I've done my job. Is that a life? Pop? No, no, right? no. But if That's... I can help, if I can help him, to stop drinking, to stop messing about, to, 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 to get it, to realize that he's a powerful human being that can do like not everything, but he is much more capable than just taking any old job. Now, now he can take a job, put a roof over, over his family. And now instead of sitting down, just wasting his time, he can learn to find out what his dream is, step into that power and take that on and make that a reality, right? That is the, that's the work that I'm doing. I is love I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I am, I'll be honest with you. This is going to upset some of my audience. Mm. I am fed up of helping people who don't want to put the work in. I'm fed up of helping people who don't want to step into their power. There mm. are plenty of people out there who are chewing at the bit for this. Come on, Lee, sign me up. Come on, let's go 1,000 mm. days sober. Mm. That's who I want to work with, right? That's right. People are like, oh man, I can't do this. I just got a day seven. I don't. Get up off the floor. Get up off the floor yeah. and get on. Right? So That's right. Hey, a little you, bit of a rant. Yeah, a nah, rant. nah, listen. There's no rants on the Sober as Dope podcast because we're family and everything you're saying is in passion. And hey, you're talking about quality of life. You're talking about yes. taking your life to the next level. And recovery helped me to do that. Like my productivity, my spirituality, my sense of connectivity and being present and just alive has shifted dramatic exponentially. And that's why I'm here. That's why I'm wearing this shirt. I'm not wearing this shirt for any other reason, but to let someone know, look, get it out of your head that whatever you're doing now is it. There's a whole nother level. You're leaving a lot of potential on the table. We love to talk about, let's stop leaving all of this potential. Um, you know, you think that for your friend, he think that job his way. God could have said, you were supposed to be an award-winning producer with mansions and build schools, but we leave these our potential on the table. And, and I commend you. And you're talking about empowering people, giving them their power back, helping them to heal, helping them to identify the limitations that they put on, that the mind kind of plays with us, these shame and get stepping outside of all of these things. Like, get off of me, get off of me, mm -hmm. right? That's what I like. I shed all of the falsities and just the, just the, dis, the, the disbeliefs, just the the terrible things that we say to ourselves. I just was talking to one of my friends on a podcast, um, um, Gigi Langer from, she wrote the book, Worry Less Now. And we was talking about mind chatter, that negative, those negative thoughts and the negative things that run through our mind and the things that we tell ourselves, right? Can you speak to us a little bit about that for your potential future customer? Mm. You know, what, what little things can we do to kind of like reinforce a positive mindset instead of this negative programming that we pick up from our, maybe our environment, our childhood or our circumstance? Hi, I think the number one thing that we work on at 1000 Days Sober or we provide for people is we say to them, look, you have to grow comfortable with being uncomfortable. So if someone comes along and says, uh, my marriage sucks right now, like we're going to ask, 
well, why does your marriage suck right now? Mm-hmm. What, what role are you playing in the fact that your marriage sucks? Oh, no, it's not me. It's him or it's her. No, no. Yeah, but what role are you playing? Yes. So, so we put out a lot of challenging prompts on a weekly basis. We get people talking about their life and going to uh, the, the darkest parts of their mind, I guess, um, and really exploring the why behind how they behave, what they do. And we ask them questions that they've never, ever thought of answering before, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they get to the point where they can turn around and just talk about anything without it being taboo, right? Mm-hmm. They could just, they could, we just had, um, uh, a, she's a tantra expert, just okay. talking about pornography, sex, anything. Like we have men who have alcohol addiction also have um, um, likelihood that they're going to use a lot of porn, right? And we right. get a lot of people like that on our site. So they're able to just talk about it. They're able to talk about it in what other people would call about called graphic terms, right? So once you're able to talk about anything you want because you feel that this um, container that you're in is safe and secure and you trust it, then you can talk to people about it. Then all of a sudden, this chatter that's going on in your mind, it's got an outlet because you're now it. able to talk to people, right? The I other thing, it. the other thing is as well as we we just kind of remind people that we we're not we're not our thoughts right so like i don't know like any i'm terrible at holding presence so when i'm with people and they're talking to me this is something i'm working on i'll lose 30 seconds because i'm just thought of something else yes but i don't go into that conversation wanting to do that mm-hmm. i go in that conversation wanting to give my full attention but a thought came into my head that drags me away from it. But then if you say to yourself, oh, who just generated that thought? It's gone, right? Mm-hmm. We don't generate them. So we try to get people to say, hey, come on. Like, you know, when these thoughts come up, thank it, realize it, laugh mm-hmm. at it, I and move it. on. And you I can add it. into that as well, because I know we're getting on meditation, mindfulness, yes. Yes. Important. Yes. Um, working with people who have clearly got their shit together. Mm. working with someone who is just present for you and is not here so here like when you close your eyes and you think like who's doing the thinking it's coming from just up here just behind your eyes mm. right? that, that's self-centeredness self-centeredness mm. when you can learn to fo- move your attention away from your center to your heart to mm. your hands to your body and then you deal with people like what you're talking about is huge because what we're saying in our head is part mostly the reason why we drink. Mm. You're a fuck up. You're an idiot. Yeah. You're ugly. Right. Mm. Right. So, so imagine if you're in a relationship with somebody who has no relational literacy, they have no idea how to hold space for you. They get mm. really angry and defensive every time you come to them crying because they don't know how to deal with it. And they get really scared. Like, so relational literacy, learning about how to communicate. Um, do not wait, folks out there. Please don't look at, there's a difference between a therapist and a coach. Okay. Therapy, don't think to yourself, I need to go to therapy when my marriage is broken. Think to yourself, hey, husband, wife, let's go do some coaching right now while we're mm. at the top of our game so we never get to a place where it's going to be broken. Mm, right? I love it. Love it. Go that's ahead. What, that's what we're trying to work on. 
I love it. I love it. Hey, man, you got me. I, I, everything you're saying is in alignment with us. We're proponents for meditation, mindfulness, doing the work, um, coaching, therapy, using all of the tools that we can to improve ourselves. And I love it. You said one of the most profound things I heard the whole time doing the whole podcast and everything. You was talking about, um, um, to the mind and being able to have a free of platform where you could really truly express yourself is so much. If you, I just thought about that, that hit me because I'm like, you know, we hold so much back because we're afraid of hurting people's feelings. We're afraid of what someone else might think. We're afraid of judgment and. That starts to add up. Every little thing you hold back in the conversation and not being able to express yourself, your outrage, how you truly feel, that accumulates. And, um, they, you know, they say the body keeps the score and then you start accumulating all of these unprocessed ideas, thoughts, and emotions. Mm. It could become a toxic environment. I love that so much. Thank you for that. I really needed can to I, hear can that. Can I give you an example on that? Yes. A very sharp example. Yes. Yesterday, somebody hopped on a discovery call with me, right? Right. And uh, I, I, I asked them to describe a time when they recently drank. So they were in a different country. Um, they, were, uh, they were with their partner's country. Okay, so a, a, an alien country to them, but, uh, a, you know, a, a familiar country. So they're with all their family. So it's like 10 o'clock at night. The, the bar is just full of family mm-hmm. uh, that this person doesn't really know that well, right? And she says, I go in there and I'm just really panicky. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really socially anxious. I'm worried. I'm concerned. And I'm hoping that everybody will get drunk so I don't have to talk to anybody. But what happens is I end up drinking with them so I don't have to talk to them, right? Mm. I said to this person, imagine if you walked into that same environment and you sat down and you got social anxiety, the butterflies are going, you don't want to be there. And somebody comes over to you and says, how are you doing? And you turn around and say, do you know what? I'm terrified right now. I'm, 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 I'm a bundle of nerves. I feel like I'm going to throw up. I, I don't want to be here. I'm really uncomfortable. I have no fucking clue what to do right now. I am mm. terrified and I don't know what to say. That is connection. Because no. connection is made through pain, suffering, sadness, and melancholy. Connection is not made through happy and joy, which is like when we're all drinking alcohol and we're getting really joy and happy. That's not connection. That's disconnection, mm. right? So if she was able to just sit there with a the confidence and a courage to just say what was on her mind, she would, she would love that place because she would find at least one person who would turn around and say, do you know what? I feel the same way. Mm. I don't want to be here either. Do you want to talk right. about it? Boom. Now she's turned a terrible night where she ended up drinking to a wonderful night where she didn't drink. Right. 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 That's that's Uh, I like that. I like that. I like that. You totally transformed the, you know, just transforming the situation. And that's also radical honesty, having a radical sense of honesty of being like able to express yourself. I'm so excited. And, um, you know, you have a quote here. You have two quotes I want to mention. You say you drink alone, but you don't have to quit alone. Right. I, Mm. I really like that one. And the other one is don't let your fear get in your way join strive today right mm-hmm. and um and then you talk about fear and um addressing the fear the in closing one of the main themes that we all are dealing with and you know this may be foundational is fear 
It's fear. And I think confrontation, being confronting our fears, speaking about our fears, um, letting, having a platform where, you know, we could use as a catharsis for that fear is extremely important. How do you address fear head on and, and, and any advice you have for our community? Because everyone out there is afraid of something, running from something, escaping something, hiding. Um, so fear in itself. Do you have any way we could flip that on this head? Because I like the way your mind works. I mean, it's a, it's, as, as everything, there's a combination of factors, right? So um, I think one factor would be really pay attention to the people you're surrounding yourself with. So... Think about, I mean, the, the old adage is that you are the sum total of the five people you spend your time with, right? right. So have a, have a think about five people that you spend your time with, five to 10, and then ask yourself, um, do I feel confident that I could tell these people anything? And if the answer is no, um, then you're always going to be rooted in fear, right? Mm. And, and to remember that there's 7.5 billion people out there. So yes. you may think, nobody's like you but to think that nobody's like you is a little bit narcissistic because probably everybody's like you and you don't even know that anyway so the best thing to do is just think to yourself there are people out there and i'll find them one day right but right. how do you find them well you join places like sober is dope you join places like 1000 days sober or anybody else who has a group right? right and then let's just say you're in strive right which is our community of 1000 days sober and I say, um, I post, like, what are you afraid of? And someone says, I'm afraid of spiders, mm. right? right. I say, no, not spiders. What are you afraid of? When was the last time you were afraid to say what was really on your mind to your wife, right? Right. Now they've got to answer a completely different question. And they might not have the answer. Mm. But if you've got a group of 40 people and five or six of them give their answers, Right. Now that's stimulating something yeah. in you, right? Now you're like, oh, I never thought of that. I right. wonder if that relates to me. Right, right. And then you turn around and you say, well, why don't you ask your wife? I couldn't ask my wife that. Well, hang on a minute. You don't have a relationship where you can sit down and talk to your wife about how you feel? No. How long have you been married? 50 years. Wow. Oh, whoa. And you drink? <laughs> no wonder you drink, man. Yeah. So, so who you hang around with? Super, super important. And asking that question and going deeper and deeper and deeper and reading. Do you know how many times I read a book and I think to myself, holy crap, I can't believe that's me. Mm. You know, when like, you know, you know what to do, you know what you think, but you can't put it into words. Mm, and funny. then somebody writes it and you think, yes, All that's right, what right. I'm <laughs> Yeah, right? correct, correct. You know, yeah. so, so fears for me, it's tied in with radical authenticity. Mm. It's tied in with my, my responsibility is to make sure I get the very best coaches in 1000 days sober so they can sniff out your fear and they can kind of like, you know, like make sure when you're in this maze of fear that you take the right left or right turns. Right. Mm. That's my job. And then to help you to grow comfortable with being uncomfortable. I asked some really uncomfortable questions. We had this game called uh, sober spin the ball. So we come yes. on for an hour. I ask him some random questions out of a box. It yeah. could be could be like, who who in your family do you want to most have sex with? They've got to mm -hmm. answer the question, yeah, right? right. And, and, it, and the point is, you might think, what's this got to do about alcohol? You're learning. You're to learning. Just be who you are. 
Right. Be who you are. Like, what right. is wrong? What is, there's nothing wrong with the way that we think. It is normal. Mm. I think it was the philosopher Alan de Boiton that said, when he has like a group discussion with all of his psychotherapists, mm -hmm. they always say it's such a shame that we have this client psychotherapist confidentiality. Because if we could just tell the world that right. all these people we work with have the same issues, wow. we, we could accept it as part of the human condition and then we can start fixing the right issues, right? That's right. That's right. That's and I just, right. I know we're coming to the end. So I just want to say this and then I'll, Zip it. Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. Earlier, earlier on, folks, you're listening. Earlier on, me and Pop, we 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 touched some territory where we may not completely see eye to eye on a few things, right? Right. And I want to say to anyone listening to this, that is important. It's right. important that we have differences of opinion. It's important that as somebody who is suffering um, with alcohol. And, and controlling alcohol or whatever you want to call it. I, I'm not really into the language of it. It's important that when you go to the internet, you have all these different points of view. Yes. Because it doesn't matter who is right. What matters is that you get better. Amen. Amen. Right? That's right. So I just wanted to say that because I, I don't, I don't want people thinking right now, Oh my God. Cause I've had people on my podcast before and they're like, why yeah. did you have that person on the podcast? Yeah. They, they, they talk about moderately drinking. And I'm like, yeah. well, if it works for some people, which obviously does, because we can see it does, why are you yes. trying to censor him? Correct, correct. Yeah. Uh, freedom of speech is real big. I appreciate everything you said. And, 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 and I know where you're coming from. And it's an important place. And I, and I appreciate you so much. Look, Lee, you built such a beautiful movement and a beautiful community, and um, and I thank you for it. And I think you're incredible. And what your wife is also a coach, right? She's one of my coaches. Yeah, I only, yeah. I only, I only hired her, so I don't have to pay. Her. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. We have the amazing Lee Davy, founder of A Thousand Days Sober. This such an amazing experience. You got holistic coaching, holistic programs, focus on spiritual and personal development, person-centered therapy, grief, loss, health, well-being, and the whole gamut. We appreciate you. Thank you for carving out some time in your busy schedule, Lee, to be with us, to be with us today. Um, and I would like to have you on a little bit more. I think we have a lot more to unpack. I love the way you think, and I th we need innovative thought because you're on the front line. The people who are actually that's really qualified are the people that's on the front line, helping a whole community heal. So congratulations. If you help one person find sobriety and find permanence and peace of mind, and, and you know, we fulfilled our purpose as, as humans that, on this that's planet. That's how right? it starts. That's, that's how, how it starts, starts. Right? right? You stop. I could tell you her name. Her name is Kareen McGowan. I stopped, and this woman from Glasgow with two kids said, wow. can you help me? So I always say, I'm not a doctor, but if what worked for me works for you, great. If what worked for me doesn't work for you, then don't worry. Pop's there. Andy Grace is there. Andy Ramage mm. is there. AA mm. is there. It doesn't, mm. you know what I mean? I'm it, not, the, my, my, my lack of interest, obviously I'm interested in the genes because I'm reading about yeah, it. But yeah. the reason it's not incorporated in my program is it didn't, it wasn't my program. I, I didn't look at it in that way. So I don't teach yes, that way. That's right? right. But, but I am very, very willing to have an open mind and learn more about it and understand it because 
if I can learn more about genetics or anything else that I can build into my program to help people even more, great, you know? Great. Same thing here. We're, look, we're constantly learning, right? The, mm. it, our process the, doesn't stop. I'm learning every day. I, I just learned last week when I spoke to, two weeks ago when I spoke to Dr. Rob Kelly about the psychic and spiritual DNA. And that, and that blew my mind, right? Yeah, we, yeah. Do, we just, the scientific community really just got a grip on epigenetics two or three years ago. I mean, it's been around, but it's really, they started to really build on it. So you're right on edge. This is all cutting edge stuff, right? It's not like yeah. it's historically documented. We should have known this 50 years ago. So it's all good. The key is, and I want to leave it here, it doesn't matter. What matters is there is a possibility for you to be free from your addiction and to be free indeed. And that's going to work on a genetic, spiritual, cellular, any level you want to call it. Freedom is freedom. You don't have to be a slave to your addiction. Lee, it's a pleasure speaking to you. I'll catch you on the other side. And thank you so much. Could you just let everyone know your website before we wrap? Yeah, very quickly. The only way that you can get into 1000 Days Sober is to book a session with myself so I can see if you're really up for it. www.1000daysober.com. You can sign up there and uh, yeah, you'll have a chat with me. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. And don't waste his time. Be serious. And be- <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll sniff him out. I'll You'll sniff, sniff him out. out. God bless you, my friend. Take care. Thank, Thank you, you for joining us. Peace. Cheers. Keep All up the right. good work. You too. Take care. The choice is yours. Are you ready to immerse yourself in top class coaching and a loving, intimate community who can be vulnerable with you and bear the weight of your story? If so, check out www.1000daysober.com.